You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. How are you guys doing this morning? Subpar. How are you guys doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. That's what I love. So as Charlie already mentioned, my name is Rostro Joasson. Some folks call me RJ. If you can't pronounce that, it's okay. Okay, RJ is, is sufficient. Um, I, I've, I love this community and I love this church. Um, Charlie and I, man, we've been friends for, I mean, the past three years, and we've been connecting on a monthly basis, and I get to hear a lot of cool things that is happening at Missio, um, and in return, he gets to hear a lot of cool things that I get to do, um, but honestly, man, we just really love your community. My my wife and I, and then uh, we have our two kids in the, in the little playground over there, probably causing a ruckus, um, Micah and, and Kylan. Uh, you'll probably see them running around. Um, but anyways, man, we really love this community and we're so like appreciative to be here on this morning. But I don't know each and every one of you guys, so I'm just going to assume that maybe there are some new people that may be in the mist. But um, if I speak somewhere, I like to kind of make this little disclaimer. One, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here all the time, right? So if this is your first time here, um, do me a favor and come back next week. Um, one, I really want you guys to be able to see the, the leaders. So you have amazing leaders within this congregation um, that is worth being able to get to know. Uh, so please do me that favor of coming back next week. If you don't like today, uh, try again next week. Um, and then on top of that, if you do decide to come back next week, continue coming. Uh, because this series that uh, you guys are in uh, so far, going through the whole entire story, um, I think it's one that's worth investing in. And so uh, with that, what, maybe four years ago now, Chris, um, I, 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 my wife and I, we lived in uh, Florida. Uh, we're in Tallahassee about six, for six years. Um, the, what, four years ago was my first time ever talking to Chris on the phone. And so I was just a, what, 23-year-old kid, not knowing what I was wanting to do. I just knew that I wanted to grow. I wanted to grow spiritually. And so I got on the phone with Chris, um, and, and we talked about me possibly coming over here. And it was the best choice that me and my wife has ever, you know, ever, ever done. Um, going across the country, driving across the crunchy, uh, crunchy. yeah, that too, country. Um, and being a part of MTC, which most of you guys are probably uh, familiar with. And prior to um, attending MTC, uh, I was the individual who would like read the Bible and kind of like try to dissect it and get some like deep, deep, deep meaning out of it. And I had my devotional portion within the Psalms and the Proverbs. And I had all these, this, 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 this particular way of studying God's word, but I never for a second actually took the second to step back and really read it and see it as a narrative. One story or, or many stories coming together um, to tell one grand story. And so I remember sitting in the Goheen's home and, and hearing this class and my mind's just being blown because I am finally being able to see the Bible as it's, as it's telling one big story. 
And so I really love this particular series, and I would encourage you um, to continue coming. But anyways, I'll get out my little soap soapbox. Um, so anyways, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be uh, going through 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, this is a story that may come familiar to a majority of you guys, um, but this is a story of David being anointed as king. And there's a whole back, you know, a back story to this uh, up until this point right now. And you guys have been treading through the story, but I'm going to go back to uh, Egypt. We'll go back to the Exodus story. And so far, uh, God has uh, made a people for himself and his people are held in captivity. And so God, uh, the faithful and, and, and just God that he is, he frees his people from captivity um, and, and, and he gives them this land. This is this promised land, the promised land that was given uh, or, or that, was, that Abraham was uh, told about. They finally arrived to this particular promised land. And, and while they're there, they're supposed to uh, kind of be there, listen, submit to God and do as he instructs as they're in this land. But that's not what ends up happening. Uh, they fall into idolatry, and it's this ongoing circle that they go through of falling into idolatry, then calling out to God in order to relieve them. Then God sends a particular individual, and then they find themselves uh, being liberated finally to find themselves going back into idolatry. And it's this continuous circle and circle and circle that they're going through. God raises up these judges, these people that are supposed to lead Israel. But um, as you guys learned last week, right, you guys honed in on Gideon. But you see that that also didn't really help um, to Israel's circumstance. There is sin um, in the judges' um, heart. And we still see that there isn't necessarily a fix to this situation that's going. And so at this particular time, at the end of the book of Judges, the way that it ends is that it says um, in Judges uh, 21, 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Right? So this is pretty much where the book of Judges ends, is where there's pretty much just, just chaos that is happening. It's chaos. Everybody is doing what they think is right, um, and there is no type of order, no type of leadership that is, that, is, um, that is around, and so everything is in chaos. And this is kind of where we enter into 1 Samuel. And so there's a narrative that kind of builds up to this particular point. In uh, chapter 16, there is this uh, particular individual that is born, and his name is Samuel. Now, Samuel is a prophet, and he's risen up um, in order to lead Israel. And so uh, Samuel is leading Israel, and he leads them faithfully. But one day, the people of Israel come to Samuel and says, hey, we want a king. We want a king. And so that kind of confuses Samuel a bit because his understanding is that uh, Israel already has a king. It's Yahweh. Right? He's the one that is leading and guiding. He's the one that's been fighting uh, their, their battles. He's the one that's been providing for them. However, they want a king. So, so Samuel goes and consults with God, and they're conversing with one another. And, and God says, you know what? Give them what they want. They want a king. Give them what they want. What they want. And so um, God also tells them that when they receive this king, this king... Um, it isn't going to be everything that they thought it would be. 
but give them. Go, give, go and give them what they want. And so they go ahead and, and, and Samuel goes and speaks to the people and they're like, I don't really care. We still want this king. And so they go ahead and they get this king. God gives them the king that they desire. And this is Saul. And the Bible describes Saul as this nice chiseled, kind of looks like Chris and fit, real fit. Chris is like, no, he's humble. Uh, but, but just this really tall, attractive. He just fits and he looks like a king. Right. And before this time, Israel said, no, we want a king like all the other nations. And so they're looking at all the other nations and Saul fits this description. So now they have Saul. This is a king that they wanted. And so uh, Saul leads and he leads faithfully for a time. And so as he's leading, he's winning battles and things look good. But then Saul ends up going rogue. He ends up going off rail and he begins to think that he knows a little bit more than God. God gives him specific commands and he, he, he wants to add his two cents to it. And so Saul ends up doing things that are uh, corrupt and God ends up rejecting him. And so uh, in, in 1 Samuel, we kind of see the ascension of Saul and then the descension. And now where we are right now in chapter 16 is where we see the ascension of David. So this is where we find ourselves within the story. So I'm going to go ahead because we're going to dive into the first 13, chap- or 13 verses of this and um, we'll dig in. So I want to pray first before we dig into that. So Father, I thank you so much just for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I thank you um, for this opportunity to just teach um, and be before this amazing community. Lord, you are uh, gracious in, in every way, in every form. Um, and I thank you, Lord, that uh, you're a God who looks um, in the inner and not the outward, Father. So we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're tracking along, this is verse number one. Uh, it says this. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send, I will send you to Jesse the uh, Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him I declare to you. So as we enter into this story, what we, what we learn so far is that uh, Samuel is grieving over Saul and his rejection. Now, you have to understand that Samuel has been there since the beginning of Saul's reign. And so they are essentially kind of buddies. They've been working together hand in hand in order to lead Israel and, and, and fa- or faithfully lead Israel. And so uh, Samuel has been able to see all of the success that uh, Saul has had. Right When Saul was being faithful to God and there are winning battles and things look awesome, but also Samuel was able to see uh, when Saul went rogue a bit. And so he was speaking into Saul's uh, life and saying, hey, you're, off, you're, you're going off rails, come back come back, right? That's the role of the prophet, right? To, to, to bring people back in line. 
This is what is is uh, this is what's been happening over the course of years. And so to be the guy to have to essentially give the pink slip and say, hey, you've been fired by God like that comes with some pain. Right. So so Samuel finds himself in this point in this period of uh, mourning. But what I want you to see right here is that the failure of one man doesn't stop God in his mission. The failure of one man does not stop God and his mission. God has been so gracious to, uh, to Saul, providing many opportunities for him to repent and to trust in the Lord. But what Saul's temptation was and what he fell into was trying to lead apart from God. He was trying to lead apart from God rather than just listening and obeying to God, obeying God. The last straw that we end up seeing that got uh, Saul fired is uh, when he went into battle with the, with the Amicalites. Am I saying that right? Amicalites. I'm probably going to mess it up, so give me grace. So God instructed him to destroy all of these particular people. All right, there was some beef that had happened um, when they were leaving Egypt, when the Israelites were le- leaving Egypt. And, and God said, you know what? Uh, we have to go and take care of that. This was God pouring his wrath upon the Amicalites, right? And so uh, Saul goes into battle and he wins the battle. But instead of destroying all of the people, what he does is he sees all this livestock and he says, you know what? This is some good livestock. I don't think this should go to waste. I'm going I'm to bring it back home with us, right? And then also they had King Agag as well. And instead of destroying him, he decides to bring him back, right? So, so off rip already we see that Saul isn't obeying God. He thinks that his ideals are a little bit more clever. And I don't think it was Saul being intentional, about or, or, or malicious about uh, disobeying God. But what ends up happening is that he falls and he is prideful. He's prideful. He thinks that his ways is higher than God's ways. But how many of us are guilty of this? Right? God gives us specific commands, specific instructions, and we try to one-up him or think that we can kind of wiggle our way through it. Right? God gives us specific commands such as love your neighbor. Right. And we're like the lawyer and like we're like, well, who's our neighbor? Right. Trying to squeeze or finesse our way out of, you know, loving people that we may not actually like. But the, the, the command is specific. Love your neighbor. Love all people. Right. As God's people, we receive the invitation to be participants in God's mission. We receive this. This is a, a, a privilege. It's a joy. And what Saul does here is that he gives us this perfect outline of what not to do as a participant in God's mission. Right. Being a participant in someone else's work doesn't mean that you just create and make your own rules. Right. Here's an analogy. Right. Uh, Imagine if Charlie invited me to his home to 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 paint his house. And so he gives me all the equipment and the tools that I need in order to be a successful painter, an amateur painter. But what ends up happening is as Charlie's working on one side of the house, making it look all beautiful, I'm on the other side of the house. And I say, you know what? I put aside the painting like, that he gave me and I decide to pull out my own paint, a neon hot red paint. 
and just go ahead and just go to town on the side of his house. Right? That, that, that doesn't fit like the description of a faithful participant. Charlie would come around and as graciously rebuke me because that's not exactly what he asked me to do. Right? And so in this particular way, we as participants of God, our job, our responsibility is to listen and to obey. That is what we ought to do. So as Samuel is grieving about Saul, God who's locked into his mission, he commands Samuel to go to Jesse. But here's one of the things that I want you to notice. Notice what he says at the end of verse 1. He says, uh, uh, God says that he provided a king for himself amongst Jesse's sons. And at the end of verse 3, he tells Samuel to anoint him. So remember, the first king that Israel ever had was Saul, and he was anointed for the people. But this time around, God is saying, no, this new king that I'm rising up, this is for me. This is my king, the one that I have risen up. It's a king for myself. It's almost as if God is saying, the people's choice has failed. I've allowed you to do what you wanted to do, and you saw where that led to. It led to destruction. So now this time, I'm going to do it my way, and you're going to see how I work through David. And so verse 4 says this, Samuel, he did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city, they came and, uh, to meet him, trembling and saying, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now Samuel enters into uh, Bethlehem. He's approached by these elders who are terrified. Right. Just to give a little bit more context to why they may be terrified. I've already mentioned to you guys that Saul had a job and he failed that job. He was supposed to destroy the Amalekites, but that's not what he ends up doing. He actually ends up sparing King Agag. OK, so uh, uh, what ends up happening or the rest of that story is that when, when Samuel comes, he hears all of these noises from the sheep and all that stuff. And then he sees King Agag and he's like, Saul, you didn't finish the job. And so Samuel taps into his inner samurai and he takes out his sword and he ends up chopping King Agag into pieces, finishing the job. Now you can only imagine that word like this has got around very quickly. So by the time he goes to Bethlehem, these elders uh, approach him and they're like, you coming in peace? We got problems? What's, what's the situation, right? And obviously Samuel is coming in peace and, and he's doing as the Lord has instructed and he's gathering all of these people and he's gathering Jesse and the sons and, and, and um, is going to do what God has called him to do. That kid is having fun. <laughs> verse 6. Okay, so finally, uh, verse 6. When they came, he, Samuel, looked at Eliab, this is Jesse's son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointing 
is before him. The Lord's anointing is before him. I want to stop here and observe the confidence that Samuel has as he approaches Eliab. Right? He automatically, Adam automatically assumes that Eliab is the guy. He looks up and he steps up and he looks and says, yeah, this is the guy. This is him right here. Right? And I'm sure um, Eliab was this tall and chiseled and handsome young man because of how God responds. In verse 7, God says to Samuel, he says, do not look at his, his appearance or the height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Samuel here, he's convinced that Eliab is that dude, but God says, no, I'm not interested. It's not this one. Right? God says that he doesn't look at the outward appearance, but he focuses on the inward. Now, this makes me think, why would God say such a statement like this? Why would God say such a statement like this? I begin to kind of ponder on that, and it kind of hit me that the, the particular king that Israel wanted was a king like the other nations. Right. The king that they wanted, they said that I we want a king like the other nations. So their criteria of a king has to be coming based off of the other nations. That's how they got Saul. Right. This nice, chiseled, handsome individual. And so when now when Samuel is looking for this new king, he looks at Eliab, who looks just like Saul and says, this is the guy. Bingo. I got it. Easy task. Let's go home. Let's eat supper. Right? But that's, that's not the case. But here's the thing. This assumption made by Samuel, it could teach us a little something. That even though we're in a relationship with God, we carry beliefs that the culture has formed for us. And if we're not careful to discern God's will, we could be deceived to think that the popular opinion in culture is actually what God desires. If we're not careful, we can be swayed by the culture, what, what others are saying rather, when, rather than what God is saying. Obviously, that's the case that we see here. Samuel is deceived and God has to correct him and say, no, don't look at the outward appearance, but instead look at what God is looking at, which is the heart. So this is why I really love going through the Bible in this particular way as a story, right? Because when God makes these statements like, I don't look at the outward, I look at the inward, that sounds very, very nice. And it's like, I want to fact check God on that, right? So if we go back in the story, we see that God actually means what he says, right? Take, take Moses, right? Moses is this individual who has a speech impediment. He, he, he stutters. Right. But but out of all the people, God chooses a man with a uh, uh, with with a speech impediment to go before the, the, the most powerful person in Egypt and say, let my people go. If I was a slave in that time and I had one shot of freedom, Moses is not that dude for me. He's not that dude. OK, but obviously there is something that God sees within Moses that draws him to Moses. Another individual, Abraham, right? Very, very, very old person. 
His wife, very, very old. His wife is barren and she can't have children. They have no business having children at 100 years old, but that's, that's my opinion. But God chooses Abraham to have him become not only just a father, but a father to a great nation. I mean, out of all the people, he chooses them. And so we see that God holds up to that truth that he doesn't look at the exterior, but he looks at the inside. There is something on the inside that draws and compels him to these people. And it's something on the inside of David that draws him to David. If I can just be so candid, I love this about God because in a world where uh, people are either written off or accepted about the, about the outward appearance, you know, skin color, education, uh, 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 the way that you present yourself, like God deeply cares about me. Not only does he deeply care about me, but he found it fit to open up my eyes to the gospel and include me as a participant in his mission. And I love that about God. So we see that God doesn't look at people from the outward, but he looks at people within the inward. So verse 8, then Jesse called Abinodab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. So Eliab is not that dude. Abinodab is not that dude. Then Jesse made Shemad pass by. He's not that dude. Samuel says, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made all seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these or chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. He's just a sheep boy. He's just a sheep boy. If you guys are familiar with shepherds back in that time, shepherds, that was not a hot commodity. You didn't want to be a shepherd, right? They, they were the people that were out there, I mean, poop, poopy scooping, <laughs> shaving sheeps. Uh, it, it was just, it's not what you wanted to do, right? So, so, so it's just, it's, he says, but it's just the sheep boy. He's just out there. Obviously, his dad doesn't even see the significance in his own son and doesn't even think for a second that his son can even be king. But all seven of the, or, yeah, all seven of the sons pass by, and yet there is still one that is remaining, and so they call for him. Uh, verse 12, it says, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and his eyes are describing uh, David now, and, um, and had beautiful eyes and was aw uh, awesome. He was awesome too, and handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brother, brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So as I kind of close and, and wind down, there's three things that I want you guys to remember. I've kind of already uh, mentioned it within this, but I, I want to reiterate. You know the word. 
I want to say it again and emphasize it so that it sticks into the mind. The first thing that I want you guys to remember is that as participants in God's mission, we ought to listen, submit, and obey God's instructions. Right? Saul gives us his beautiful blueprint of what not to do. It's not about us trying to one-up um, God or to out-clever God, but to just faithfully submit to him, trust and obey him. The second thing is to be discerning of the will of God. Because the reality is, as God's people, even we can be swayed by culture. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that this is the will of God. So we have to be diligent in what is the Lord's will. And then the third thing is let's see people the way that God sees people from within rather than outward, right? But the reality is that this takes intentionality and it takes proximity. We have to surround ourselves with people who look different than us, talk different, come from different backgrounds. So let's see people from within rather than outward. And as I close, this, this story of David being anointed, I know many of you guys are familiar with this story, and there's many different types of sermons and all these different types of things on this passage, but, but, but this is a really, really great story, but it's a story that points to a greater story about an individual. Uh, that individual, uh, he's called the King of Kings and, and the Lord of Lords, and uh, 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 he has this, this entry story coming into the world as one who is coming from poverty. He's the son of a carpenter. Um, he, he comes from uh, being a, a fugitive, running away from his hometown uh, 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 because of persecution. Uh, there's all of these things, his inner circle, is filled with people who are not the typical people. If you're trying to uh, accomplish great things in the world, you have thieves and all these other different types of people that is within his circle. But yet, he devotes his life to these men and to others by serving them. Now, I hope that you guys know who I'm talking about. This is Jesus. And, and, and my prayer as we press into the story of the Bible, as you guys continue to make your way, is that each and every story will challenge and push back on the idolatries and the things that you want to stand on and helps you to form more into this person of Jesus, to look more and more like Jesus each and every day. That is my prayer for this community. So let me just pray for you guys. Father, I thank you so much just for your grace and your mercy, God, that you have built a church here in Missio who seeks to equip um, and, and to be faithful participants um, in Tempe and, and, and all around the city. And God, I pray as they make their way through this story and as they meet um, during the week and their MCs, um, God, that they will be challenged by the story, that they will, um, will be able to see the beauty um, that you have laid upon um, for us to see within the scriptures. God, I pray that there will be um, an everlasting just encouragement as they continue to see your, your spirit work and as he dwells within people and, and as uh, people are coming to faith, that they will be encouraged to press on and continue doing great works. 
Father, we thank you so much for people who are committed and give their lives to the gospel. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, even when we're not faithful. Lord, we bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.